It's only in the last few years uh, that I've been to Disneyland. And honestly, I, I thought Disneyland would be overrated. I thought, oh, this is just for kids. It's like Mickey Mouse and, you know, whatever. I wasn't super into it, but Stephanie was into it. And so we went. We went twice, two years in a row, on our anniversary, on our first anniversary, on our second anniversary. Our second anniversary, uh, my first one, we got, I got sick. And so we were only able to do, like, It's a Small World and, and one other ride. Um, the next year... Thank God I was not sick. And I still wasn't expecting all that much. And, and so we go to, to Space Mountain. I was like, okay, it's a roller coaster, but I've been to roller coasters. How, how much better could it be than just going to Enchanted Village or going to the Washington State Fair? And what I discovered is that not only is Disney do an excellent job from its character development and its thematic elements, but they employ a trick that causes a thrill, and that trick is darkness. Darkness. I wasn't expecting that we were going through a roller coaster ride in the dark, and to me, that was what made it interesting. And, and why is it that darkness on a roller coaster going through twists and turns is a thrill? Why is it thrilling? It's because there's an implicit sense of danger, right? Like, it's not natural to be going that fast through the dark in and around obstacles. Like that is normally a situation that would be scary. But that's also the thing that induces the thrill. And yet why do we choose to engage in that thrill? There's, there's two reasons. There's rails and there's restraints. If it weren't for rails and restraints, we would not get on that roller coaster in the dark. Why? Because the darkness is a symbol of danger. And, and, and we're coming to this passage, and, it's, and Jesus is framing up this idea of darkness. And what he's, what he's basically going to say is, the world is dark, except there are no rails and there are no restraints in the same way when you ride the roller coaster on Space Mountain. It's dangerous, it's dark, and, and we need light. We need the ability to see in the midst of darkness. And it's in this context that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And Jesus calls himself the light, and people respond with a question. They respond, who are you? Who are you to be making such an audacious claim to be the light of the entire world? world. And, and so that's the question I want us to be thinking about as we go through this passage. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus guy? How is he the light of the world? What does that mean if we understand our world to be a place of darkness? How can Jesus make the claim that he is our light? And so the, the first main idea we get from verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The first main idea is that Jesus provides light into the problem of darkness. Jesus provides light into the problem of darkness. It's a very clear statement. The problem is walking in darkness, 
and the solution is himself as the light. That's the, that's the statement. That's the claim that Jesus is making. Now, walking in darkness may not immediately seem to you a dangerous thing because in our day, you, there's plenty of places you can go out and, and go for a walk at night, and it's, it's actually fairly safe. It might be pleasant. It might be romantic even. But living in the city, there's always lights around, and so that's not something that we see as dangerous. But in their time, darkness, especially at nightfall, if there is no moon, right, is a dangerous thing to do. Like if you've ever been camping, (laughs) and you got to use the bathroom in the middle of the night, and you get out of the tent, like you have to take a flashlight or a headlamp or something, you're not going to go just step out into the woods and do your thing. The darkness is a scary thing. And so that's the picture that when Jesus talks about walking in the darkness, he's not talking about going for a night stroll in Manhattan. He's talking about pitch black darkness. You can't see a thing. And so it's dangerous to even take one step. That's the idea. Just to to make the point clear, if all of a sudden, close your eyes. Okay, if all of a sudden you became blind and all you can see is what you see now with your eyes closed, and you did not change your routine today, you would die before the end of the day. And I don't think I'm exaggerating. How did you get here? Most probably traveled on some sort of vehicle. If you drove it and did not change your routine, you probably would die. That's the idea. Darkness is dangerous if you can't see a thing. But Jesus is using this metaphor of darkness not just in a physical sense. He's actually driving to something deeper. He's talking about a spiritual darkness. So it's not that we just can't see our physical world. What he's saying is we can't see spiritually. We can't see morally right and wrong. And Jesus, it's important to understand the context in which Jesus is saying this. So this is continuing from uh, a situation where right now Jesus is at a feast. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. And in this feast, we talked about this a few weeks ago, where part of the ceremony was taking a, a, a pitcher, a golden pitcher of water, and dipping it into a river. The priests would do this, and they would proceed back to the altar, and they would pour out that water over the altar, the water symbolizing life and expectancy of what God would bring in terms of his salvation. But another part of the ceremony, at the end, they would light these torches, And they would have dance parties. And they would sing. And they would rejoice. And they would recount the prophecies of God. The promises of God of salvation. And so if you could just picture this. Jerusalem. Like if you could pan out in a drone. And look over the city of Jerusalem. You would see in the midst of darkness. In the midst of the darkness of the land. The temple in the center glowing from these torches of lights with shadows dancing about as people are singing and dancing and expecting God's salvation. It was a celebratory time. And so this picture would have been light of hope in the midst of darkness. And it's in that midst of darkness that Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. 
can you see the significance of what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of what you're celebrating, of what you're anticipating in hope. I'm the one who is the light that represents the hope that you long for. Jesus is speaking life in the midst of darkness. He's speaking light in the midst of death and darkness. And that's the point that Jesus is making. In the midst of the darkness, Israel would have seen darkness as as oppression, as slavery, as brokenness. Israel was oppressed by several different oppressive rulers over their course of history. They were oppressed by Babylon, then Persia, then Rome, and they were longing for a day when they would be free. They were longing for a day when, when what is broken could be made whole. And they, they, that idea they articulated as shalom, this, this type of holistic peace that they were longing for. And so the light represented the coming of that. And when Jesus says, I am the light, he's saying, I am here to bring shalom. I am here to bring peace. And as we think about our world, as we think about our community, we can also see brokenness. We can also see areas where we lack peace, where there's strife and there's violence and there's wars and there's famines and there's disease and there's these realities of life that we can see clearly even in the midst of the good things the things that we celebrate the the birth of of new babies the birth of new life we can also see the the evidences of death at the same time and it's meant to point us to 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 open our eyes to see that the world is not the way it ought to be and that we need help and that we long for a peace, we long for shalom, we long for wholeness. And Jesus says, I am the light, I am the hope, I am the one bringing, who will bring this peace, who will bring this restoration of all things that are broken. But the problem is that we reject the light. Jesus says, I am the light, and the response we get is rejection. And that's the the second point I have for us this morning is that the problem of darkness blinds us to our need of light. The problem of darkness blinds us to our need for light. In verse 13, the religious leaders respond to Jesus' audacious claim. They say, so the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Your testimony is not true. In other words, just because you say, say it so doesn't make it true. That's what they're saying to him. They're, they're rejecting his claim. That's what the Pharisees, that's what the religious leaders are doing. And Jesus responds in verse 14. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. In other words, Jesus' response is, I know who I am. I can see perfectly where I came from. I can see perfectly where I'm going, but you can't see. That's what Jesus is saying. You're blind. You can't see it. You don't know where I came from. You don't know where I'm going. That's why you're rejecting what I'm saying. 
And the, the question that, that I ask is, why can't they see? Why are they blind? How come their eyes can't see the fact that they're in darkness and they need light? And, and the full answer is not going to come until John chapter 9, where we get the story of the man who was born blind from birth, and, and Jesus heals him. But he heals him in such a way that highlights the Jewish leader's own blindness. So we're going to get to, John is working this, this, this story to bring us to the point where we fully understand. But we do know a few things. We do know a few things. We know earlier in John chapter 3 verse 19, uh, Jesus says, or John writes, that the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so there's a sense in which people love darkness. And even more so, in the context of this passage in John 8, the, we get what is a religious mindset from the Jewish leaders. It's a mindset that says, they have the authority. They're the ones who provide salvation, or they provide the means or the way to salvation. And we see hints of this throughout the Gospel of John. We saw in John 7, the end of John 7, after, so basically they, they, uh, they, they, they assert their own authority. They're like, who has believed? So they're basically questioning like why these officers come back and they uh, don't arrest Jesus because they heard him and they said, no one's ever spoken like Jesus before. And so they didn't, breathe, they didn't follow their orders. And, the, and, the, and then basically they're like, the, the, the religious leaders are questioning, you know, no one else has believed them. Like, like we, we're the authorities. We're the leaders. Like what authorities or what Pharisees have believed? So they're placing the emphasis on their own authority over and above what Jesus has to say. And it's out of this mindset, out of this posture that says we're the ones who have God's law we have God's law. We know the, the right way to get to God. And therefore, Jesus has nothing to say towards that. And it's out of this, basically, it, it ends up being a, a posture that says, you know what, we can light our own torches and see our way through the darkness. And if you, the picture in my head that, that I was thinking about as I was preparing, like imagine like if you were parachuted into the Amazon jungle at night and, you're, and you have nothing but your camera phone with a flashlight and you turn on your flashlight and you're like, I'm good. I'm safe. I can navigate the jungle. I got light, right? Like, that's basically what these guys are doing. They're, 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 they believe that they can light up their own way in the midst of darkness. I don't need help because I have my own camera flashlight or my own torch. And that's, that's the error of religion. And when I say religion, I mean the, the idea that you can save yourself. That if I know the right rules if I know the things I should do and the things I shouldn't do, if I can just check the boxes and fulfill the commands, then I've done enough to earn my way to God. That's what I mean by religious mindset. 
That that's the mindset that they come into things with. And so in that sense, they're lighting their own way to navigate the path so that they can find God and they can pat themselves on the back and say, yep, I discovered God. Yep, I made it to the promised land. And it's that very mindset that God hates because the opposite of the true gospel of Jesus Christ. As we were preparing for this message, we meet as a cadre, as, as, as uh, teachers, and, and Pastor Bob shared with me this verse that I think really articulates it pretty clearly. And this is Isaiah chapter 50. I think it'll be on the screen. You can also turn with me. Isaiah chapter 50. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the voice of his servant? Let him who walks in darkness and has no light trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who equip yourselves with burning torches that you have kindled, this you have from my hand, you shall lie down in torment. It's really clear what he's saying is the point is to rely on God. And to rely on his light. And the moment that we begin to rely on our own light, on our own torches, that's the point at which we face God's judgment. Because the point in the law is to point us to the fact that we cannot fulfill the law ourselves and that we need God's help to do it. That's the good news, that Jesus came to do it for us. And so Jesus, if we go back to chapter 8, Jesus addresses their blindness But he also reasserts his authority. So he says, I witness about myself because I know where I'm going. I know where I came from. You don't. But there's another person who testifies about me, and that is the Father. In verse 18, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? And Jesus was appealing to the father because he was trying to to reason on their level. These religious leaders would understand that God is one that has authority. And so Jesus is saying, my authority comes, it's derived from the father. But they misunderstand what he's saying. They say, who is your father? Who is your father? And then Jesus says, if you knew me, you don't know me, you would know who my father is. Again, he's saying, you guys are blind. Because if you could see me, you would see the father. He's there with me. Everything I do is from the father. Everything I say, I say what the father say. I judge as the father judges. And again, it's just another iteration of their blindness. And so then the question is, In the midst of of this stubborn blindness, how will Jesus get through? How will Jesus get through this stubborn blindness that, that refuses to open their eyes to see that maybe Jesus has something to say, that maybe Jesus is actually trying to help us in our darkness? And the answer brings us to the third point, the third main idea Jesus provides his life as the means to invade our darkness. 
Jesus provides his life as the means to invade our darkness. And so Jesus doesn't stop right there. At their, they, they, the Jewish leaders continue to reject Jesus, but Jesus doesn't just stop after the last rejection. He continues to press in, and now he's going to press in so much, he's going to basically dive down deep into what the, what the danger of darkness is. And so we pick up in verse 21. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins. So they said to them, they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Jesus starts off by saying, you will die in your sin, which um, is harsh. You will die in your sin. And what he's doing is he's, he's clarifying the danger of darkness. It's this idea of unpreparedness. Like, like, have you ever had like a nightmare that you had like a really important meeting with someone or a really important like deadline and you arrived at it and you weren't prepared? It's, it's kind of like the idea of you dying in your sins. It's like you've, if you've ever like met with someone important or you or you imagine like you're going to meet with the president or you're going to meet with uh the queen of england or you're going to meet with some the ceo of your company like you would you would prepare for that meeting like you would put your best clothes on like you would you would take a bath or a shower cut your hair put your makeup on like you would you wouldn't just come haphazard but, but what, what Jesus is saying, if, if you don't be careful, you're going to end up in the spot where you've come to that day and you're not prepared. You'll be in your sins. You'll be in, you'll, like you're working in the field. You're, work, you're mowing your lawn. You're, you're sweating. You're, you're stinky. Your hair is a mess. And then all of a sudden the king shows up or all of a sudden the president shows up or all of a sudden your boss shows up and you're not ready. You're not prepared. And that's the picture that he's giving. That there's a day where we all meet the king of the universe. There's a day where we meet the ruler of all creation. And he's saying that if you're not prepared, you will be covered with filthy, sinful clothes. And it'll be too late. It'll be too late. And, and 
that's the, that's the picture of sin, the, the sin that we walk in. If we just walk in the darkness, it's like we're, we're colliding with sin and it just gets on us and we're just full of it. And actually, truthfully told, it starts on the heart. It comes from the inside out. And Jesus is trying to warn them. He doesn't want them to go down this path, which is why he, he provides this caveat. He says, unless you believe that I am he. Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, what is he talking about when he says, unless you believe that I am he? Like, what is he referring to? They don't know what he's referring to because then they ask the question, who are you? Like, who are you? That's their response. And Jesus says in verse 25, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. And so what has Jesus been telling us? He's, as we look through John, he's given us these really important metaphors about who he is. He calls himself the bread of life. He calls himself living water. And now he calls himself the light of the world. If you look at all these metaphors, what Jesus is saying in bread, in water, in light, Jesus is saying, I'm everything you need for life. I am life itself for you. That's the point that Jesus is making. He's begging us to come to him for life, to stop relying on trying to save ourselves and to come to him for life, that we have no life in and of ourselves. Jesus has life to give us. And, and he says, you will know that I am he when I'm lifted up on the cross or when I'm lifted up. And that's a clear reference to his, his death on the cross. That the way that Jesus invades our darkness is by dying on the cross, lifting himself up and showing to the world that I've died for your sins. I've died for your filthy clothes so that you don't have to clean your clothes yourself. You don't have to put your makeup on. Like it's funny when you, when you put dead people in the casket where they put their best clothes on, right? Like it's almost like this symbol that, oh, they're gonna meet the king. I wanna make sure you're presentable. But what Jesus says is the gospel is not you make yourself presentable. The gospel is believe on him and he gives us his clean clothes. He takes our dirty, filthy, sinful clothes, puts it on himself and dies on the cross for our sins. He takes upon our filth. He takes upon our shame. He takes upon our guilt and gives us his righteousness. He gives us his cleanliness so that we are prepared to meet the king by faith. By grace. It's not anything we do. It's not anything we earn. It is solely by faith in Jesus that what he's done on the cross is enough to cover us completely and to take away all our guilt. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus has done. He is our light in the midst of our darkness. And notice, if we go back to verse 12, it says that we will have the light of life. We will have the light of life. If you go into a dark room and you turn on the light, why do you turn on the light? 
so you can see. And then you stand there and you just see. So you, so you can walk. So you can do stuff, right? That's why we have light. It's not only so we can see. It's so then we can move and actually have a purpose. And so God has given us light for life so that we can do life together. There's a purpose to life. And so Jesus has died for our sins so that we would have life, so that we can live life in the way that God has intended for us to live life. It reflects the the same love that Jesus had, that he died sacrificially. We can then, because of his work, love other people in the same way. And so we get from that our mission, our purpose, our, our calling, if you will, So Jesus gives it to us. It's like if we have a light, like you don't just cover it up and hide it. You reveal it. You let it shine. You let it work. And so that's what God's calling us to as a church, as a family, as people who believe in this message, who accept Jesus. We're not just called to receive it and accept and go, oh, look at me. I have life. We go, what a great gospel we have. What a great God we have. We can share that with others. And that's something that I think as a church we need to grow in. If we believe it. If we really believe that this is what Jesus did for our sins. That he's given us new life. And and that he offers it to everyone. Then how much more should we not take that message and offer it to our neighbors. Offer it to our coworkers, Offer it to our families. This is good news. This is what God has called us into. And, and my prayer, my hope is that we would see this, that God would open our eyes and give us sight to see just how good he is. And that's what I pray. I just want to pray for us this morning. Father, I know that there are some here in this room with us who have not seen you clearly. Lord, who have not seen your beauty who have not seen your goodness, who have not seen your grace, who have not seen that you love us, that you value us, that you care for us, that you don't desire bad for us, you desire good for us. And so, Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see you in a new way. Lord, that you would do a work in our hearts so that we can see you clearly so that we can see our need for you. Lord, that we would receive you. We would believe in you. That we would trust that you've taken care of our sin. That you've taken care of our rebellion. That you've cleansed us of our filth and that you've made us clean. Lord, would you open our eyes to see that. And Lord, would you help us to move forward in belief of that. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for being light in this world and in our darkness and for giving us hope of an everlasting peace and shalom in relationship with you forever. We thank you and we praise you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, At this time,